Good evening, everybody. We're going to start our first session tonight. Tonight is What Are You Standing For? He's going to break it down in two parts tonight. I am really looking forward to what and how he's going to expound this and bring it to us. Um, I truly believe God is going to do something that's going to change the way we see the word and we see just life, how we do life together, how we do life with the people that we know and the work and so we have some sheets handing out and some pens if you need. And as I said, he is going to be uh, doing two full things. The scripture is going to be on, but I don't know if you'll be able to see it. But I hope you have your Bibles tonight because you will need it. Uh, if not, we can supply some Bibles for you. <laughs> but definitely sheets in order for you to just take notes. So um, I've known Michael since 1998. No. Oh, yes. No, yes. So he met me at the Bible school but didn't know me. And uh, so 2007, he I came to get me, and we spent a lot of time together, and that was it. We were sealed for life. And uh, so I really want to thank the Lord for our journey together. Uh, it's been a great journey, and I've seen the Lord change him and mold him into the man that he is today, and I'm just anticipating so much other greater things because God is really actually shaping him into a new assignment. And so we have to keep him in prayer. He's here today. He's um, developed a curriculum for Times Square Church at the 1 o'clock service just to help people with these fundamental truths of who is God, does God exist. And it's, uh, it's taken shape into something that is very pivotal for this church. And so we sent, we sent him a request and asked him if he wanted to come. And I kept on asking. Finally, I was bold and said, okay, now you got to come. And uh, so he can only give us this time frame. And I said, no problem. You come along and we're going to just take you and open your, our doors to you. And so I just want to thank the Lord for his faithfulness. His loyalty is just his steadfastness in the Lord has been uh, a real journey for me just to see him be steadfast and diligent to go forward. Has he struggled? Yes, he has. Has he gotten back up? Yes, he has. And I think you're going to hear that from how he shares his heart and how he shares God's heart with us today and how he's going to just bring out truth that would can change because it's only truth that changes us and only truth that sets us free and so this weekend that's what i'm asking god just come lord just come and set us free amen amen so i'm going to invite you michael to come on up you're all set you want me to put you on in the back or you want israel to do that for you okay no it's on right okay only in church do people get to stare at your behinds right before you go up right all right. Am I on now? Perfect. All right. Oh, good. I have walking space. We're good, right? All right. Yeah, I first met Pastor Glenn and Pastor Mona uh, just newly to Times Square Church. I had, uh, she had come to the Bible school. I went to Summit. Um, back then it was Mount Zion, so she had come to speak. So I knew her from there, but, you know, being in the Bible school, you don't know them. You just kind of see them. So uh, I think um, you were, actually, I think I met Pastor Glenn first. He stayed in the apartment, so we hung out, and then you came for a women's conference, 
and they said they're bringing their son with them, their 16-year-old son. Can you hang out with him? Or he might have been 14. I don't know if Daniel's here. Yeah, he was young, young then. And we lost his wallet at ESPN Zone. <laughs> I'm like, what am I going to do with a 14-year-old in New York City? So I took him to ESPN Zone. He lost his wallet. So that was her first introduction. Great. My kid got robbed. Um, <laughs> you know, welcome to New York. But anyways, uh, it's a privilege to be here. Pastor Carter, Pastor Teresa send their greetings. They're actually in Canada on vacation right now. Uh, but they send their greetings and love um, to this church. And I just told them it's my Canadian family. So I don't know any other Canadians outside of them and you. So I'm good. You, you have secured it in my heart. Uh, this is where it is. But let's open in prayer and then we'll jump right in because uh, we want the Holy Spirit to have his way. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Lord, we have opened up with our mouths praising you and worshiping you. And God, we're asking that now you would speak and you have uh, humbly asked me to do that tonight. So God, I pray that I would hide behind you, Holy Spirit, that you would use my mouth. You would give me clarity of mind and clarity of speech. Lord, that every heart would be open to hear, myself included, what you want to say through this teaching. I pray that it would be practical and spiritual, God, and that we would be able to apply it to our life as we walk outside of the doors of this church and we walk within our homes and we walk within our communities and our jobs, as we walk within the stores, oh God, and we meet people. We need to be bold in these days, oh God. We need to stand for Christ. If we're called Christians, that means we're standing for Christ. So God, let us not use that name in vain, but let us walk in truth. So Lord, have your way tonight and this whole weekend, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So. What we're going to do is, uh, uh, I hope you didn't come to get preached at. I'm going to teach. Normally, I'm teaching a Friday Bible study at uh, Times Square Church, usually every Friday. And so uh, we're going to kind of, I'm kind of kind of bring that here and we're going to go through a teaching. So you have to have a notebook, a notepad, your Bible uh, so that we can go through because I don't want you to hear from me. I want you to hear what God has to say in his word. We're Christians here tonight, or at least I'm assuming everyone is. If you're not, then tonight's the night for you to give your heart to Jesus. When I say that, it's to give your life. But if we're a Christian here tonight, when we leave outside of these doors, I hope that we have grown in our Christian walk because spiritual maturity is what it takes uh, to face what we need. And if you're a new Christian, that's okay too because you're at a great, you're like moldable and pliable right now. You haven't kind of been, become crusty like some of us older Christians. <laughs> so, and if you're laughing, you're that old crusty Christian. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but anyways... We have to keep growing and, and changing into who we are. So tonight, we're going to talk about what are we standing for, okay? What are we standing for? And uh, we're going to go through this. Do we fully understand the basic, basic, right? When you write that word down, basic function and role of Christians in society and how we are to impact culture. There's a lot that goes along with being a Christian. There's a lot that goes along with being a part of the church. Now, we are in the westernized world, so the church uh, usually means Christianity or a form of it. People take on different forms, whether they want to uh, be Catholic or whether they want to be um, uh, Orthodox or different things. But we know that as us, and I'm going to be honest tonight, right? We can talk about that, that that's more of a religious way of being a Christian. But if we're going to be real Christians, we know it's with a relationship, okay? And we have a basic function as Christians. That's the, the whole point when Jesus came, not only to die on the cross, 
be buried and resurrected to put us in right relationship with God. He also came to teach us how to impact the world because there are other people who didn't get to see him in those three years, and he commissioned the church to go out and to impact this world. Now, I garner to say in the day we live in today and throughout history, the world didn't, uh, always had a tendency to impact the church. And you hear those one, and we read their stories and their biographies, and we're thinking, man, they're so great, they're so awesome. Well, that's one, but there are thousands and millions of other Christians. What are you doing in your area? What are we doing here in this area to impact the world for Christ? What are we doing to impact our homes? So we're going to talk about that all weekend. We're standing firm in truth, and today it's very apropos. Now, don't think that today is unique. Oh, my goodness, there's divisions. Oh, my goodness, there's uh, people coming after it. That's, folks, the writer of Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. And what they were going through in the biblical days, what they were going through when Paul and Peter were writing was way worse than what we're going through. Now, there are some people outside of the Western world that are definitely going through something similar to that. You say you're a Christian, it could cost you your life. But I I would submit to say we've become a little apathetic, and that's why we're where we are. We've become too comfortable in our Christianity or in the label of Christianity. So I want us to kind of go through these. Now, I want to ask a question, right? What is the basic function? Hope you can read my writing. If not, get glasses out or uh, your neighbor. Of what are the basic function or role of Christians in society? Now, when we give answers, right, basic, don't try and and preach from the audience, okay? Be honest with your answers, and don't be embarrassed. We're family here, and so no one knows better than anybody else. We may have a different level of maturity. We may be in a different stage of life, but give some honest answers. I want two people, and also don't be long-winded because we're times, okay? So I don't want you, don't, don't give me a whole dossier. I want... Two people to tell me quickly what they think. What is the basic function or role, excuse me, that's an or, role of Christians in society? To live the word. Now I'm going to ask you and challenge everyone. That is such a wonderful Christian answer, right? What does that mean? Somebody else? To love like Christ. Boy, you all get some good Christian preaching. To love like Christ. I love it, though. Now, what does that mean? In practical layman's terms. How Jesus responds, all right? I'm going to ask another question. So what's the basic function or role of us in society? But then I want to ask, how are Christians 
supposed to impact the culture. Two different folks. Somebody else answer this question. Who wants to tackle it? How are Christians supposed to impact the culture? No compromise with the world. What does that mean? If you had to tell somebody, you had to go out here and say, I'm a Christian, I will not compromise with you, the world. How, what does that mean to the lady in her shopping cart and superstore? She's like, so should I not be shopping here? Who's the world? Let's identify. because we're, So we're, we're, the world is non-Christians. Got it. Okay. So I hope she's not in the shopping cart, but the lady with the shopping cart. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so no compromise with the world. No compromising with non-Christians and their standard of values. Standards and values, correct? What kind of... All right. You can't steal her question. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Number... T- uh, somebody else. Another... Anybody different. How are Christians supposed to impact the culture? Anybody? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 because guess what? When you're standing in Superstore at a cart with somebody else, you're not hoping that she comes along and is like, hey, hey, talk to my cart person, talk to my cart person, be a light. What does that mean? Am I supposed to be a fluorescent light, an LED light, a yellow light, a decorative light? Mm-hmm. In the car, yeah. Though she could be in one of those riding ones, but let's not go there. Okay. So this is more your attitude. This is more your attitude. Nice cart. She didn't buy the cart. That's Superstore's cart. I have one that looks just like it. I get you. Okay. The key word is basic. All right. Now, let's strip away all the extra church stuff, the traditional ideas, the spiritual rhetoric, and the personal stories that come attached with emotional value. Everybody's like, what? Right? Because we all have personal stories. They have emotional attachment. We all know the church Christianese. Everybody ever heard that term? I speak two languages, English and Christianese, right? And most Christians who, after a while, have been serving the Lord do the same. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, because some people have jumped on that bandwagon and made it seem like, oh, that's wrong. 
any culture that you're a part of, when you join your company and they start using acronyms and then I show up and they're like, oh, you need a PIP at the LOF and you're like, what are you talking about? They get it. TSC, but you know, uh, welcome to TSC. And, and I have to remind people, say Times Square Church because the person's like, TSC, what is this? You know, the supply store? Because in America, there's a supply store called TSC. Um, so at the core, God makes it very plain what his desires. Let's turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Now, throughout the weekend, just for, so if anybody gets up and walks out, I understand. We're going to use the NLT. The reason we're using the New Living Translation or that I'm going to use it is because, um, especially coming from New York, there's a lot of people who English is not their first language, and the NLT is grammatically correct. So as they're learning English, this translation keeps it all grammatical, sentence and and paragraph form, and it uses a modern language. Uh, but I trust me, so afterwards, please don't come up to me while I'm trying to eat one of those pastries and say that I'm going to hell because I'm not preaching from the New King James, okay, or the King James. <laughs> All right, I know that's the one Jesus said the apostle used, but for tonight, we're going to use NLT. Okay, let's read it, 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, he's speaking to the disciples, we're his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, keep in mind, a lot of people use this scripture and they think I've got to go stand on a street corner and I've got to go street preach and I've got to just come in and tell somebody and they're like, hey, my name is John. My name is Michael. I'm a Christian. And I got to tell you about Jesus. And they're like, maybe we could get water first, just a little something. We think it's like that, that great commission to go out. But what he's telling them when he's saying make disciples is he's reminding them in your life, everything I've taught you. Not just go and tell them about Jesus, tell them about everything that I have taught you, all right? Everything, and the context is in light of that. He's not referring to just informational preaching, teaching, or missionary. Some people read that and they're like, yes, Lord, I'll go to Africa. I don't even like bugs, but I'm going to go to Africa. They take it as a missionary call, or I'm going to go to China, or I'm going to go to America. They're in need, Lord, I'll go, and I'll make sure I go to Dallas because the homes are affordable. You know, then we kind of mix our missionary uh, statement to make it comfortable. He's talking about our entire life. He's saying, go make disciples with your life. Let your life speak. So we're going to break this down. And I want to talk about a few things. The first thing we're going to talk about, I'm going to erase this. You didn't have to write this down because I didn't come up with these answers. So they might be doctrinally off. Okay. Just in case this came from the audience. All right. We're being recorded, so I want to make sure people know that wasn't my thoughts. Okay. Uh, All right. I want to break it down. Okay. So if if the question is, what are we standing for? I want to give two reasons. Two reasons that we're standing. Because I want to keep it basic. That's our key word tonight, right? Basic. If we're going to impact this culture and this society, folks, we got to keep it basic. We got Paul said, be all things to all people, correct? We got to keep it basic. Now, if they call you to go to a seminary and they've got doctorate, yeah, you better pull out your thesaurus and your dictionary 
and pray for the spirit of Ravi Zachariah or William Carroll to come on to you so that you can keep up with them. But I don't go talk to those people. I'm talking to the folks like me, okay? And we're going to keep it basic. Because to impact this culture and society, I think sometimes we shoot too far to the moon or we let our Christianese get a hold of us that we forget the basics. You ever taught somebody, uh, you know, any principle? If you, if you go in and let's say you're a doctor and somebody comes in, you got to go over the basics first. And sometimes we forget, we complicate things, and we have to revert to the basics, especially when there's a crisis. The basics is what will get you through. All the extra convoluted stuff won't work. The basics, all right? So we're going to go through that. Number one, we're standing for two reasons. Number one, the gospel of Jesus Christ. gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to break the gospel of Jesus Christ down into two things. Number one, the gospel of Jesus Christ is truth. If we don't start with this principle, you can leave now. If you don't have this set, you're standing for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you have doubt, if you have questions yourself, which we all do, Anybody here ever not doubted the gospel? You not you just had that one moment. Maybe you were mowing the lawn. Maybe you were in the kitchen cutting up some vegetables, and it just hit you. Man, I hope this thing is true. I hope this this, this Jesus is all for real. Because if not, man, I've been living my life. And the old saints used to say, even if it ain't, it's still worth it, right? And that is true. So the truth. Let's go to John fourteen six. John fourteen six. Says Jesus told him, I am the way. Now, mind you, he's speaking to his disciples. Jesus told him, and specifically to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So he's explaining that the whole point of Christianity is to get us back to God, right? To fix the relationship. I shouldn't say get us back to God because he never walked away. To get us back in right relationship with God. Jesus fulfilled that part. So I'm, and, and if you want to repair, if you want to have this relationship with God, it's only coming through Jesus. So can we agree on the basics? That's the basics of our Christian faith. We don't have to go into all the other doctrinal stuff. If we can't agree on the basics, then we have a problem. Okay, we cannot waver on the foundation of what we believe. Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and raised to life. You can't waver on the basics at all because that's, if you're going to impact and you're going to stand for truth, you have to know what the truth is. And we're going to talk about that more in depth tomorrow. What is truth is kind of, we're going to define truth, but it's the truth. Now I want to give just real quick, real Christianity. So this was John 14, six, everybody got that down. I want to give three quick things. Real Christianity is not a religion amongst other religions. If you are a real Christian, and you're religious, then you're not a Christian. You're just a religious Christian. But real Christianity is not a religion among other religions. Be careful with our, Tim Delina always tells me words matter. Be careful when people say, well, what religion are you? I'm not a, I'm not a religious person. I thought you went to a church. Oh yes. I have a relationship with God. There's a difference. You have to be willing to say that. Now they'll look at you funny. Well, I'm Catholic. Oh, it's wonderful. 
Well, I'm the, well I, aren't we the same? Well, I have a relationship with God. There's a difference. Maybe I should take a moment and explain what does that mean? Because now their interest is piqued. Well, wait a minute. What? I'm confused here. Great. Let me try and help that confusion. I have a relationship. I talk to God every day. I get in the closet. I love to worship him. I'm not f- afraid of death. And in New York alone, they're like, what do you mean you're not afraid? I'm not afraid. I mean, I hope it's not painful. I don't want to get hit by a bus. I really, really don't. <laughs> you know, I read the news and see how people die. And I'm like, Ooh. you know, Jonathan went cliff dive. He's like, we can go. No, no, that's not. I don't want to tempt the Lord. I don't want, and I don't like broken bone, none of that stuff. But I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die. We, real Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship, okay? And it's not a religion amongst. And I use the word real because that's important. Two, we do not serve the same God. We do not serve the same God as the Muslims, as the Buddhist. We do not serve the same God. Now, we do serve the same God as the Jews. Don't forget that. We do serve the same God as the Jews, but there's a difference. They have only understood the old covenant. They have only understood the, the, uh, the covenant under Moses and the covenants under Noah and Abraham. They've, some, not all, have not accepted Christ as their Messiah. Now, there are Messianic Jews who have the full revelation understand that. We do serve the same God. We're a Judeo-Christian uh, people. But there's a part, like they've come this far and no further, except those that have accepted Christ. But when it comes to the other religions, people try out of being nice with Muslims. Well, I mean, they have, they, it's wrapped up that we do not serve the same God. Because the only way to God for us is through Jesus Christ. They don't accept that. Therefore, we do not serve the same God. Make sense? All right. Three, Christianity is exclusive to one way. That's Jesus. But it's inclusive of all people. Anybody can come. Now, that's a marked difference from other religions, from those people who are religious, because they, they come one particular way or, or they'll say all ways are to God. No, no, we're very exclusive and we're very forthright with it. This is the only way to God because he says so himself. But anybody, regardless of color, race, culture, ethnicity, gender, are all allowed to believe in him. They don't have to jump through any hoops whatsoever. Just give their life. That's a difference, folks. I don't have to come pray to Mona, Pastor Mona or Pastor Glenn. I don't have to come pray to Pastor Carter when things go wrong. I get on my knees or I walk in the subway or wherever I'm at and I talk to Jesus. That's a marked difference. And it's available to anyone who chooses to believe in Christ and put their faith in him alone. Two, the gospel of Jesus Christ is transformative. This is going to be Romans 1, 16 to 17. I have a feeling my writing is going to get sloppier as we go along, but it's okay. Romans 1, 16 to 17. For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Everyone has equal access to God and the opportunity to surrender their complete life to him. Everyone. He will be faithful to shape them into the person he wants if they allow him. The gospel 
of Jesus Christ is transformative. If you're not transforming, any person given to Christ will change. It's non-negotiable. It is non-negotiable. If you are given to Jesus Christ and you have this relationship, you will change. It's non-negotiable. Jesus himself says it. It will happen. Why? Because the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And when the Holy Spirit lives in a person, he begins to transform the person like himself. If someone claims to be a Christian but are not changing or becoming more like Christ, folks, I'd be honest, I have doubts. I have doubts. Now, I'm not going to go up to him and be like, you know, it's been two years and you ain't changed. You're still loudmouth. I'm just wondering. That's all I'm saying. You know? <laughs> now, she may not be a loudmouth. I don't know. But... <laughs> But <laughs> exactly. But do you see what I'm saying? You see the change. You see the change. It may take a while, folks. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your spouse. Don't give up on your friends. It may take a while for the change. But if they're a Christian and their heart is truly given, it's going to transform them. It will be genuine. An imposter will be discovered because they can't keep the act up forever. It's a fact even if it's revealed in eternity when they stand before God. There are some people who, when they stand before God, the Bible says all will be known. Sorry, all will be known. You don't want to be that person. I don't want to be in line behind that person. I'm not, I'm not saying we're going to be in a line, but you know, like, oh, I'm going to stand over here. You go right ahead. All right? The second thing we stand for, second reason, eternity. Eternity. We stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we stand for eternity. I want you to turn to John 3, 16 through 21. Eternity is for two things. So we stand for eternity. Number one, ourselves. Standing for reasons, the reasons we stand. The gospel of Jesus Christ, eternity. There's two reasons we're standing for eternity. Number one is ourselves. Let's read John 3, 16 through 21. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who did evil hate the light and refused to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. And we're going to talk about fear tomorrow. But those who do, do what is right come to the light so others can see what they what that they are doing what God wants. This may sound simple, but the gospel in a nutshell, John 3.16, never loses its profound meaning and become very personal when people choose to embrace it for themselves. We're standing for eternity because of ourselves. If we're not standing for for yourself first, you're not going to be able to help others. We do not live for fire insurance. 
because we cannot lose focus on the goal. You ever heard that? People who live, they want to be a Christian because they don't want to go to hell. That's fire insurance, folks, and that's not spiritual. That's not even right. I don't sit there and think about how far can I go just, just right there. Will that get me? No, maybe not. Will that? Maybe not. I don't, mm, I don't know. You ever see people like that? They come up to you. And, and newer Christians, I understand you have a lot of questions. And you come up and you want to know, like, oh, I did this. Like, I'm so, they've got to work through the fear because maybe that's what brought them in to understanding who Christ is because someone explained hell to them. That's okay. But we've got to move them past that fear into a relationship. I don't fear God in the sense that I'm going to go to hell. It's a reverential fear and it's a, it's a, a loving fear. And I know that's counter because we use that word fear so wrong, but there's a good fear of why I don't open the door while the plane's in motion. I'm afraid, but that's a good fear, right? And you hope everyone on that plane has the same exact fear that you do. A few folks have, as we read in the news, have lost that fear. We call them insane and lock them up. Or we beat them up, whichever works in the moment. But it's a good fear. A fear of God is a good fear. But I don't fear eternity because I have a relationship with him. It's the same in a parental relationship. We all have parents, and if you had good parents, I had, uh, my mother was a, a godly woman and a Christian, and I, I love her dearly. There were things I feared, like when she was driving down the street. Now, I'm a little bit old school, and maybe I said something a little crossway out of my mouth. Back in those days, you could hit your kid, and nobody locked you up, right? There was a fear if I said something wrong, and she gave me a look. It was like, oops, okay. But it taught me to watch what I say and be respectful to her. Because you know what? I, did? I love her. And it taught me something at that young age that when I get older, to respect those in authority, to respect those. She was teaching something into me, but that was a good fear because I knew there were repercussions. But I'm not, I wasn't sitting there worried all day. Now, I know some people had abusive parents, and they were. That's not the same fear. And so we have to work past that. Heaven is our home. This life on earth is temporal. We need to remember that. Do not be short-sighted, nor let the issues of life cause you to lose hope because we are supposed to have an answer. So eternity for ourselves, and when this is settled, then we can move on to this, which is, some people don't like this, but the, one of the crux of Christianity is others. Let me tell you, if, if I'm in a burning house and I know the way to the exit, what kind of person would I be if I didn't try and help it, the person, the people immediately around me or a stranger? I always like to sit in the exit row because they have more leg room if I can't get the bulkhead. And what do they tell you when they go through that? Are you willing to help others? If not, get up and go sit somewhere else because you're not the type of person we want here. You're not the type of Christian God wants if you are only worried about this and you never move and grow and mature into others. If you're not moving into this, you're becoming a stagnant Christian. It's about others. Let's turn to uh, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot is worthless. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. 
No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Notice the caveat of that. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The point of others, you learning to let the truth sink in, be transformative, understand eternity and go to others, is so that they will want that, a relationship with God. People should see you. You ever had somebody in a restaurant and they're eating a dessert and you just sat down and ordered your water and you're already looking at their dessert and you're like, I just want that. Because the way they're eating it, they're just like, some people eat food so like graciously, dare I say sensual that you're like, "I, I don't, I'm even allergic to coconut, but I want that pie. Right? I'm not allergic to coconut, by the way. But, uh, You know what I'm saying? We should be such a representation of Christ that people say, I want, I don't know what you have, but I want it. And you can say, oh, it's Jesus. And guess what? You can have it. It's not free. I mean, it's free. It's not just me. You know, it is a lot of work. It's free, but, you know. So people are watching you. When you utter the phrase, I am a Christian, not only has the enemy of your soul marked you, but other folks have too. Isn't it funny when you tell people you're a Christian, you do something wrong and they're like, oh, is that what Christians should do? And you're thinking, you don't even read the Bible. How do you know what Christians are supposed to do? But they know you ain't supposed to curse. They know you ain't supposed to be nasty. They know you ain't supposed to flip them off in traffic. They, you know, they know these things. They know these things because there is a level of expectation on you. And you know what? Meet the responsibility. Attain the goal. Go there because you may be the one person that can draw them to this relationship. Immediately, your life is not your own. The Lord now uses it for his glory. Selfishness is a thing of the past. And you're given a mission. This is your mission. I can erase this now because I'm going to move to number two in a minute, but I want to write this down. You ever heard this acronym BYOB? You're all like, no, we're Christians. Oh, please. Okay. Huh? Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Okay. You've given a new acronym. B-A-P. Now, that doesn't mean bap them upside the head and drag them in. But this is your, you're given a mission. Okay. Bring another person. Don't go to heaven alone. Try and grab as many people. Bring another person with you. Bring another person. The stakes are high because the consequences are no joke and you no longer get to keep the status quo. Eternity for others. The stakes are high, folks, and you got to bring another person. Now, we talked about the reasons that we stand, the gospel of Jesus Christ, eternity. Now I want to talk about two more. I'm going to talk about another thing. I've broken it down into three things. Number, the second part is how to stand.
Remember, we're asking the question, what are we standing for? We talked about the reasons we stand. Now, how do we stand? And the key word, what's our key word? How to stand. First one is pretty easy. Relationship with God. Let's turn to Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Now, there was a religious person that came to Jesus. They loved to come to him and ask questions. And mind you, kind of you're going to hear this theme throughout the whole weekend. As Christians, we should be able to answer questions. And this generation has a lot of questions. They have a lot of questions. And if we are just fumbling in our words and we're not asking them, guess what? An inquiring mind will Keep inquiring until it gets satisfied. So do we want to just fumble along? Do we want to slink back in fear? Do we want to, oh, I don't really know. Oh, I don't, I'm not a theologian. I'm not Pastor Mona. I can't say it so eloquently. Or do you want to be able to answer the question? And how do you stand? One of the ways, what's the old phrase? You know, show people or teach people the way and use words if necessary. One of the ways that you're going to stand is your relationship with God. So one of the religious people came to Jesus and they asked him, Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's, that's the first. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Based on these two commandments. Number one, relationship with God. This is the most important thing in our life. Right here. This. This. Just, just write important. Right? Important. Write that down. Relationship with God. Ministry must never replace our relationship. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because I'm speaking to a group of Christians. Ministry, and we're not talking, ministry is not behind, just behind this pulpit. This isn't ministry. Anything you're doing within the, the body, within the organization is ministry. If you're sweeping the floor, it's ministry, and it's just as important as that pulpit. If you're cooking, if you're watching somebody's kids, God help you. But if you're watching somebody's kids, that is definitely important ministry. That is a ministry, Lord help me. You know, I, don't, I did it for two years and I don't think I could rejoin. Because when those things have to go to the bathroom, it's, that's, it takes you to another level of deeper love with the Lord. But, <laughs> right, let's not get sidetracked. But anyways, ministry must never replace our relationship. Remember the church in Ephesus? Paul was writing to them, and by the time revelation come, Jesus had to chastise them because they lost their first love. He says, I know all the stuff you've done, but I have a problem with you. You lost your first love. You lost the importance. Because if this isn't right, everything else in your life will go awry. Family and friends must never replace our relationship. 
Every time the children of Israel let others come between them and God, they were led astray. Countless examples of spouses and children leading people down a slippery slope with God. There are countless examples in the Bible. Somebody starts right with God, they get married, led astray. Somebody starts right with God, their children go awry, they overlook it, led astray. Somebody starts right with God, brings friends into their life, led astray. That's countless examples, and guess what? It continues today. Friends and family must never replace this relationship. And it does take a while. It takes a while to say, hey, you know what? It's all been wonderful having you at my house, but it's 9 o'clock, God talks to Jesus, you got to go. Right? It's hard today when you're like, oh, Lord, thank you. Oh, look at this text message. Let me send that funny meme. That is too funny. Hold on, let me text him back. Hold on, Jesus, just hold on a minute. Talk to the talk to Pastor Mona. I know she's up. Okay. Right? Family and friends must never replace our relationship. Life issues, struggles, successes, etc., must never replace our relationship. The moment we allow those things to consume us is when we start losing the battle and the enemy starts winning because they will cause our heart to become divided. Anytime you see in the Bible and you're today, Life is going to happen. It's going to happen, okay? It's happening right now. It's going to happen. How many of you are going through something? Who wants to be honest? Raise your hand. Going through something. The rest of you are aligned, so you can raise your hand later. You go through something. Successes. Life. All of a sudden, you've been praying. Oh, I'm, so, I, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Lord, give me a job. He gives you this fabulous job, and the job says, we need you as much as possible. And the next thing you know, you're like, oh, I can't really come on Sunday. I'm just so tired and wiped out. Oh, you know that prayer meeting during the week. Oh, it's just so busy. You just don't understand this job. God gave you that job. So you're going to forget. Or you don't want to get up in the morning because you're just so tired. So get up. I mean, I just hate, I got to break it down as, as plain as simple. We all have to go through that. I've, I've been through that. I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm just tired. And God's like, well, you stayed up late enough to watch the movie, and now you're tired, so you can't get up to spend time with me. But it was such a good movie, Lord, and it was free on Netflix, and you said be a good steward of your money, and so I didn't even pay for it. Right? We start excuses, and God says, no. That's not how it works. It's, it, think about it. He's always willing and way. It's like a parent. As the kid grows up and they're young, they cling to the parent's leg. They get older and next thing you know, they're running around. And then they get older and the parent's like waiting for a phone call and they're, oh, my mom is just too busy. We do the same to God. Too busy, God. Oof. This job you gave me. This struggle I'm going through. I can't pray. It's just overwhelming me. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Uh, maybe that's where you should get. God's allowing it in your life so you will get back in the prayer closet and you're driving the other way. Doesn't work. It's like driving, it's like you know a tsunami's coming and you see the evacuation route and you drive to the tsunami. Uh, you know, are you going to go that? No, I want to go see the tsunami. Well, nice knowing you. That's almost like it is with our Christian life. Nice knowing you because you're going to start falling back you're going to start sliding away. So how to stand? This has to be paramount. The second how to stand. Relationship with people. Matthew 
Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. That's red letter Jesus. Do to others. What do we call that? The golden rule. The golden rule is still the golden standard. Now, it's funny how people who aren't Christians understand this and many times exercise it better than a Christian does. Right? You're ready to come through and just, oh my gosh, let me bless you out in Jesus' name. We don't, we don't treat people the way that God tells us to. You're not going to stand for truth if you can't treat people right. It's just not going to happen at all. I'll give you a little side antidote. On the way here, I hope nobody works for Air Canada, but um, <laughs> some of y'all know where I'm going. Uh, let's just say their punctuality is uh, definitely not the gold standard of the airlines. And so... On the way, my flight from LaGuardia, I had to connect in Montreal, was delayed. And about an hour later, so I'm texting Pastor Mona. Oh, my goodness. She's like, welcome to my world. Just you'll be all right. Relax. Um, so I'm texting. I'm first in line to get onto the plane, and the lady brings out that little bag thing. Now, I've traveled with this bag all over the world, always taking it on. It's not a little airplane. I know it fits. Does it fit in this thing? And I'm like, well, that thing is so small, you know? So I'm like, it'll kind of fit, but it has a, you're going to have to check it. I'm like, listen, I've traveled this plane, this route before I have taken it on board. No, nope, you're going to have to check it. We're a full flight. I said, yes. And the people behind me will have to check theirs. That's why they're in the back of the line and I'm in the front of the line. So you make sure you tell them as they're coming through, but I'm going to go ahead and take my seat. No, you need to check it. It's the rule. Now, mind you, I'm in New York. I don't know. Maybe she goes to Times Square Church. Maybe people have seen her. So it's always in the back of your mind. And I'm like, listen, I don't really want to check my bag. I have a connection. If there's an issue, it's, you know, I, I have a purpose for going and, and I don't want to miss it. You're going to have to check your bag. Okay. I'm not going to argue with her. So let me just check the bag. She checks the bag. And then she's like, see, you'll see it go down there. I'm not a five-year-old. I know how it works. Thank you very much. Let me get on board the plane. I get on board the plane. We get, they make up time in the air. I arrive into Montreal. I have 30 minutes to my connection, so I run to customs. They get me to the front of the line. I go to the agent. He says, your flight's for tomorrow. I said, no, no, it's at 1.30. I have 30 minutes. The Air Canada agent so put me at the front of the line. He goes, you're going to have to go back and talk to them. I go back to talk to her, and she goes, hey, I'm sorry. You're going to have to be rebooked because you have a checked bag. I said, so you tell me if I didn't have a check bag, I could make this flight. She goes, oh, yeah, you have plenty of time. But because you have a check bag, you, you can't. We can't. You're, you can't fly without your bag. You know, your agent in LaGuardia is the one that made me check the bag. She goes, I'm sorry. No problems. Yes, thank you so, so much for this. Maureen in New York at Air Canada, right? I got a little frustrated. Definitely came across in the text message. And of course, what is Pastor Mona? It all works out for the glory of God. Don't text me that right now while I'm standing here. <laughs> that is, don't text me Jesus working it out. I don't want to hear that. I want you to get angry with me. Send that emoji, the, the red-faced one, right? 
So I go to, I said, well, am I going to have to pick up my bag? Absolutely, you're going to have to pick up your bag. No, okay, no problem. Go through customs. Go downstairs. The guy says, um, I said, hey, I, I don't see my bag on the carousel. He goes, oh, it may have went without you. I said, hold on a minute. Hold on, hold on. What do you mean my bag might have went with? Your agent upstairs told me I couldn't board the flight because my bag was checked in. I don't know why they told you that. Well, neither do I. But if my bag goes to Bathurst and I don't, Lord help me in this airport. And I'm not going to be speaking French. Let me just tell you. So he goes, okay, go downstairs, see if they have it. So I go downstairs and the guy says, yeah, it's in our baggage room roaming around. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll take it. He goes, well, do you really need your bag? Well, if I'm going to overnight here, I need some clean underwear. So yes, I need my bag. I get to the hotel. I'm a bit frustrated. But thank you, Maureen from Air Canada. I needed that. Being at that hotel, I was able to review these notes. I was able to study. And I was able to just spend that time alone with God in prayer. So yes, God does know what he's doing. And so when I get back to New York, I hope I run into Maureen because I'm going to do something she's probably never had. I'm going to, first of all, tell her, because you insisted I checked my bag, I missed my connection. But before you apologize, I want to say thank you for doing your job and insisting that my bag fit this little bitty thing and not check it because I was able to be where God wanted me to be. Relationship with others. Relationship with others. The Bible says that even secular folks know when something is foul. They know. By the way, it's one-sided too. This relationship with others, this golden rule, he's speaking to his disciples and believers when he says, do unto others as you have them do unto you. Nowhere does it say to expect the same in return. You do it even if it's not done back to you. How do you stand? Relationship with people. When they see you're different than how people operate, their ears are open to what you have to say. Your voice carries an authority you didn't even know it carries. The fruit of the Spirit deals almost exclusively with how you are, to, how you are transformed to relate with other people. Remember the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's for you, the believer, because God knew you were going to have to deal with people. But he knew he wanted you to stand. And if you're not exercising that fruit, you're not, you're not transformed, then you're going to lose your voice. So you can't stand. Stand is not standing on the street and passing out tracts all day or boycotting in front of Superstore when they want it. That's not standing. A relationship with God and with people, that's how you stand if we're going to stand in society today. Your life speaks more volumes than your social media post. It's going to get lost anyway. Because on their feed, you're going to post, and 14 of their friends, and your feed is gone. But when something happens, they're going to go to the people who are standing for truth. Now, the last thing I want to talk about I hope this is helpful. The impact of our stance. Because there's going to be an impact. 
if you think for one minute that there's not, then you, you're living a dream world. You're, you're out in left field somewhere. There's an impact with everything you do. I love that Pastor Tim Delina says that words matter. Your words do matter. Your actions matter. And how you stand, your relationship with God and your relationship with others, it will have an impact. And there's two impacts. There's the pros. There's the cons of the impact. The first one, go to it. First Peter 3, 13 to 17. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you. God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. I want you to underline that, highlight it, circle it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. The gospel will spread and souls will be brought to eternity. That is the main pro. The gospel will spread and souls will be brought to eternity. Remember, BAP. Look at your neighbor and say, BAP. BAP. I think that's a Korean song, but I'm not really, you know, the, the what is the little Korean pop star people? But I don't know. I don't listen to it. But anyways, the gospel will spread and souls will be brought to eternity. No greater satisfaction than knowing that you represent the creator. That's one of the pros. There is no greater satisfaction than knowing I'm representing God. I mean, it's one thing to represent your company. It's another thing to represent, be an ambassador for Canada and to, you know, hopefully one of the nice spots. You want to be the ambassador to Canada to like France or, you know, Australia or something like that. It's some of those other countries like, we want you to be the ambassador to this country. And you're like, oh, um, let me think about that. (laughs) Might be a little dangerous, but it's, it's one thing to be an ambassador for Christ. You're representing the greatest person that has ever walked this planet, Jesus Christ. You should almost get a little pen and put it on there, you know, ambassador for Jesus Christ. That's one of the pros of the impact of our stance. We get to represent Christ. And representing Christ It comes with such a a joy. It comes with a peace. It comes with all of those fruit of the Spirit that we're able to do. The second thing is, one of the pros, wisdom. I know this isn't going to pop up there, but I want you to write this down. Proverbs 11.30. Proverbs 11.30. The seeds of good deeds become a tree of life. A wise person wins friends. 
Proverbs 11.30. Wisdom. You get wisdom. I love reading through the Proverbs. Anybody else love reading through the Proverbs? We did a study on that one Friday. It's just, I, I could read those day in and day out. The wisdom that comes from that book. The wisdom that comes from the whole Bible, but that book is so practical, and I'm a practical person. One of the pros, the impact of your stance, one of the pros is wisdom. Wisdom not only for you, but wisdom for others. Because as you're building your relationship with God, as you're standing on truth, you gain wisdom that you get to pour into other people. And then they begin to grow. And the wisdom comes not just spiritual wisdom, it comes practical wisdom. It comes that you can, you can now go into your job and they're thinking, man, this is the greatest employee. Like there is just something different about this person. They, they get it. They understand. They, they go above and beyond. That's how Christians should be. That's the type of person we should be in the workplace. Because then you, you give a stance. I, I worked a job um, a couple of years ago. I had a part-time job. And, and when I got to the job, at first, I thought it was just to kind of help me financially, uh, you know, living in New York City. And so I, I just got this part-time job and, and wanted to pay off some, some debt that I accrued and save some money and different things like that. And, and I thought, God, why this job? Why in the world am I getting this job? And he said, it's not about the money. It's about the people. And I thought, what? Like, I don't, it's a grocery store, you know. They're probably going to be a little weird, Lord. But I remember the first day on the job as I'm getting ready to walk out, I was just kind of, wasn't happy. I wish I was one of those trust fund kids, you know, had it eat life easy. Anybody else ever wish that, right? But the Lord knows I probably wouldn't have been a Christian, so that's why I said no to that. Uh, but I remember I was walking out and the Lord said, fix your face and your attitude. You represent me today. And every time I would go to that job, I only worked there three days a week, the Lord would remind me that. You're representing me today. Fix yourself. Not only to them, but to the customers that come in the store. And I remember my manager at the time was not a Christian, and, and um, the people that we worked with really didn't like her. She was newer to the position, and it was a store that's very high in volume. She had come from a kind of a medium volume store, and so she was kind of struggling to get through it. And and when people around you don't like somebody and that's all you hear, it starts kind of getting into you. And I remember the Lord said, don't you dare. Don't you dare. You support her, not only publicly to her, but behind her back. So I'd always say, well, you know, well, let's just do our best. We're all one team. Let's send their thing. What is wrong with you? She's terrible. Who cares? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm sure she means well. And if we all pull together and help her, because some of them were like, I'm not going to do it. I want to see her fail. But you're not impacting just her. You're impacting the people we're serving. We're, you're impacting the, the other, the other uh, of us, the others of us who have to pick up the slack because you're trying to boycott yourself. But do you know when it came to the end for me to leave? Number one, I had favor. Anytime I asked her for anything, anytime, the first time I visited here to Canada, I was traveling um, here and she gave me the time off and stuff. And then I traveled again. She was just, I just always had this favor and she really liked when I worked. She actually wanted me to come on full time. And, and I said, Oh no, you know, God has different plans. It's only part time. But I remember the last week that I was there and I had heard about her, her marriage and things, things were kind of rough. Now mind you, she was a non-Christian. And I remember before I left, she said, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, sure. She goes, um, I was just wondering if you could pray for me. 
really? He goes, yeah, I just, I'm really struggling here at the job, and, and I just, you know, it's just been hard, and, uh, and you've kind of been a, a breath of fresh air, and so um, I just wanted to know if you would pray for me, because I was very bold that I worked at a church. There was a lady there who was atheist, and, and I told her one day, I said, well, I'm going to pray for you, and she said, you can't pray for me. I said, well, you can't tell me what I can pray for. She goes, no, you can't pray for me. I said, and you can't tell me what I can't pray for. And come to find out she had an expectation on God that wasn't met as a young girl. And so she became an atheist. And I told her, I said, and that's why I'm going to pray for you. From that moment on, that woman, she goes, I'm your mother when you're here. And I said, okay, she would look after me. But this boss, she said, can you just pray for me? I said, can I speak to you? I know you're my boss, but can I just kind of speak to you from a different authority? She said, yeah, I said, I know your marriage is in trouble as well. And she just kind of dropped her head. And I said, I know it's a been struggle here for you. And I've been praying for you. I said, but I'm telling you, the only way that this is going to be fixed for you to truly give your heart to Jesus Christ. I said, and, and if you would just talk to him about that. Now, she came from a different religious background. And I say, you're always welcome at the church. You have my number. Call me anytime. And she's like weeping in the store. She's just crying. And, uh, and, and so I just said, I'm going to pray for you. Like, do you see the impact that it makes? The wisdom that comes from that because I had a relationship with God and he began to speak to me. I, I was a little cheeky to one of the other employees. Uh, she used to, every time I came around, she used to mock God. She would you know, use his name and curse words and different things like that. And it just really annoyed me. But the Lord just, just love her, just love her. One day I was uh, rolling some dough or doing some things. I worked in the bakery, which oof, is not good for your waistline. But anyways, because <laughs> when I first started working overnight and at 3 a.m., you it may have every excuse why that frosting should be eaten in bucketfuls. Uh, I need the energy. I'll walk it off, all this other stuff. But um, she was over with another guy, and she's just kind of mocking God. And then she, just, she turns and she goes, Michael, uh, can we be friends? I said, sure, until eternity, and then we're going two different places. The guy next to her who was not a Christian was like, oh, snap. She turned so red and got real quiet. From that day forward, she never mocked God around me again. Never mocked God around me again. Always came up, hey, can I get you Just trying to be there. Because the reality had been put in her face. Now, granted, I said it was a little cheeky, but in the moment that it brought the authority for her to realize. And I was kind to her ever since. I didn't hold it against her and walk around with some air of arrogance. I would always come alongside. So, you know, you have a really good personality. You're a funny person. And uh, I'm sure people like that. She was like, thanks. The impact we have. It comes with wisdom. Lives are drastically altered and changed. That's one of the, the biggest pro of all. Lives. Other people's lives are drastically altered and changed. It's worth it. Folks, if that's all we do, it's worth it. To see a life changed. Now, there are some cons. There are cons. Your impact will have the impact of your stance brings some cons. Let's turn to John 15, 18 through 27. 
John 15, 18 to 27. Again, this is Jesus' red letter talking to his disciples. And we're his disciples, correct? Verse 18. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master, meaning a servant. Servant is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I, did, if I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in the scriptures. They hated me without cause. That reference is from Psalm. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Folks, it ain't easy. Standing is not easy. It's not. And our impact is everybody is not going to be like, ooh, oh, I love it. This is wonderful. No, because it exposes sin. It exposes things in their life that they know aren't right. And if you had Jesus standing face to face and people turned and walked away from him, why in the world do you think it would be easier for you? Why in the world would we even remotely consider that? Whew, thank goodness, this Christianity thing's a lot easier than I thought. No, it's not easy. There's some pros, but there's some cons. Ridicule. Slander. Hatred. Gossip. Lies. All of these will be spoken about you. We can't respond in kind. We cannot do that. Somebody gossips about you, you don't go gossip about them. Somebody lies about you, you don't go lie about them. Somebody slanders you, you don't go slander them. It's going to happen. If you think it's not, give it some time. Or either it just hasn't come to your attention, but it probably already has. Rejection from family, friends, strangers. Rejection is a part of this stance. When you stand for God, you will inevitably be rejected. Remember, him, remember Jesus said, they rejected me. Remember Samuel when Saul, he had poured his all into Saul. He had poured his all into the people of Israel. And he began to weep and mourn and God said, stop. He hasn't rejected you. He's rejected me. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting what you're standing for, the truth of Christ. They're rejecting your relationship with him. They're rejecting the fact that you want to bat them and bring another person. They don't want to go. Folks, they were given the same thing you were given. Every one of us was given it. Choice. Choice. That family member that you're praying for and agonizing for and, and, and just really interceding for, they have a choice. And I hate to be as, as sober as this, but at the end, they may choose not Christ. It's 
That's life. That's the reality of life. Rejection. Rejection from your friends. Remember, Paul says that they, they, they question why you don't do the things that you used to do, why you don't join them in these things. What do you mean you don't want to go clubbing on Saturday? You can get back in time for church. We'll only be out till 2. Your church doesn't start till like 1030. That's like six hours of sleep. Your, your pastor won't even know. No. Rejection is real. And you know what? That's the type of rejection that it's unfortunate, but if I have to stand for Christ and deal with that, I'll deal with it. That's what we have the body for. Now, I'm going to be honest with this one. One of the, the cons, possible jail time, torture, pain, agony, loneliness, frustration, all of it up until even death. Many people lose their life for standing for Christ. We don't see it that much here because we live in a more moral, Christian, moral-based society. There's a lot of people in other countries that are dying. And, and when Paul wrote most of his letters and Peter wrote his letters, those Christians, when they're talking about persecution, were thinking, oh, I was persecuted. They ran out of my favorite croissant at, at Superstore, and that lady wouldn't make me one. She, I think she did it because I wasn't a Christian. That's not persecution. God didn't want you to have that croissant. I know. <laughs> we, we persecution. I couldn't find a parking space at, close to the church and I had to park clear at the back. And then Jonathan wasn't paying attention and then his parking people went awry or, oh, persecution. Uh, you know, I, I got to this place and I had to stand in line. That's not persecution. Oh, the lady on my job, she never, ever, ever turns in her paperwork right. She's persecuting me. That's not persecution. Yeah, it's uneasy. Yeah, things aren't bad. But those folks were literally, the Emperor Nero was stringing them up and lighting them ablaze. That's persecution. Yet in all of that, Paul and Peter are telling them how to be overcomers, how to live, how to stand for Christ. Don't let false teachers come in. Stand for Jesus. Preach until the end. Stephen preached until they stoned him. I don't know, there was this movie that came out a couple of years ago. I have to be honest, I thought stoning was, you know, they kind of pick up this pebble and they're just like, you know. And I'm thinking, wow, this is really long. You know, if, if I'm going to get stoned, like, I ow, 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 you know, like, this is going to take forever, you know. And then I'm thinking, can't you just, I know this is terrible, but I'm thinking, well, I got in the stand. I was like, yeah, if I just kind of get down and pick, you know, you could live through a stoning. That must have been how Paul did it. No, there was this movie that came out. It was based on a true story, and they, they showed a stoning. And I have to tell you, I cried all the way through. So in this particular movie, and if this is correct the way they did it, they dug a pit, and they put the person in the pit, and then they buried them up to about their waist, and then they tied their hands back. So now you, you can't do anything, and then the person stands about where Pastor Moni is, and they pick up rocks. About half this size. They just go for it. The first rock hit. And I was like. Oh, you know. Whoa. And then I just. Be, and, and the person's just, just being. So they're seeing the person that is stoning them. And they just keep going. And, and in one of the scenes of the movie. 
she's bloody and she's over. Um, they were basically, the premise of the movie was that her husband wanted to be with another woman. And so he lied and said that she had slept around. And in the culture that they were in, it's a Middle Eastern culture, um, he had every right to stone her. And, and her son had to throw the first stone. And her father was there and the guy claiming to be her husband. And so they just stoned her. And then other women picked up and stoned her. And she's laying there just blood dripping. It, it was very, I'm sure the rating is a lot higher, you know, now looking back. But she's dripping and somebody goes and checks. She's still alive. So they pick the bloody stones up, come back, and then they start again. So when Stephen got stoned, or Paul was stoned, and they thought he was dead, and he got up, all because they're preaching the gospel. You're going through a little, little hardship at work. <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to downplay it. It could be rough, especially if they're coming at you as a Christian, but let's take it easy. You know, we can still love that person. In the midst of stoning Paul, Stephen was able to stand and say, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Where did he get that from? Where did that line come from? Jesus, who was on a cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know. Now, if you and I were on that cross, that one knows, and that one knows, and that one knows, but not Jesus, our ultimate example. And we're standing for his gospel. And so Stephen was able to do the same thing in real persecution. The biggest con of all, so to speak, physically is death. Forgive them. But Stephen knew that last con turns into a pro because of eternity. And the Bible says he looked to heaven and Jesus stood up. How amazing would that be? So what are we standing for? We're standing for the greatest thing to ever impact this earth. We're standing because this earth was created by God for a relationship with him. And now you and I have the privilege and the honor and the blessing to stand for Jesus Christ. That's what we're standing for. So stand up. (laughs) Stand up for real. (laughs) What I want us to close with, I want us to close with prayer. I want you to grab the hand of the person next to you. It'll be a little old school. New York, we don't do that too much. Never know what person next to you. Grab the hand of the person next to you. And I want us to take just a few minutes. I'll close this in corporate prayer, but I want us to take a few moments. Bow your head and your heart. And I want you, first, ask God to help you to stand. Just quickly say, God, help me to stand. And then I want you to pray for the person on your right, just a minute or two. And I want you to pray for the person on your left, just for a minute or two. That God would help them stand in whatever situation they're in. Let's pray.
Jesus, I'm just asking that you would help each and every one of us stand who you are. God, the, the day is urgent. The hour is critical that we stand. God, I want to ask first for every one of us and any of us, God, who have been stagnant, oh God, in our walk with you. God, who have wavered in the truth or, or wavered in our relationship with you. God, I'm asking that you would bring that assurance to know who you are. God, I'm asking for a desire to be in your word and a desire to talk to you and pray and a desire to be in fellowship. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, oh God, and remind us that there is no other important time than it with you. There is no other important relationship with you, oh God. And Lord, I pray that as we get the foundation right, God, that you would forgive us for any stagnation. You would forgive us for any fear or timidity to, to live this out with other people, oh God. Lord, let us have a boldness with our friends and our family, oh God. Let us live for Christ. Let us be living epistles, examples of who you are, oh God. Let us be that, that, that person that they can see that begins to draw them in. The person that draws them into Jesus. The person, oh God, that is, uh, wants them to taste and see that you're good. Oh God, I pray that we would be that, oh God, and that it would begin to flow into other relationships with our coworkers and our colleagues and our fellow students, oh God. Lord, with our neighbors, oh Lord, even people within the body that we know. God, let us truly begin to stand for you with our life. Let it be a lamp, oh God. Let it be a light in the midst of the darkness around us, oh God. Let it be something that causes demons to tremble. Let it be something that causes the demonic, oh Lord, to slink back. Because they can't stand in the presence of God. They don't understand, oh Lord, why they can't do that. Because they haven't fully given their heart. But I pray they would surrender. Because they would see that we're living for a real relationship. They would see, oh God, that we're living with the Creator who created them. And loved them, oh God. Anyone here that doesn't know that, God, I pray that they would come to know that. Lord, I pray that our family that we've been praying for and our friends we've been praying for would come to know that, oh God. And Lord, I pray that we would embrace the pros of the stance, O oh God, the wisdom, O oh God. We would embrace, Lord, lives being changed. We would embrace the ambassadorship that's been given to us, O oh Lord. And we would stand proud to tell people about Jesus. We would stand, O oh God, with the truth on our side. We would stand, O oh God, and be a marked difference in this society, a marked difference in this culture, O oh God, because we want them ultimately to be drawn to Jesus. We're not trying to place Christian traditions on them. We're not trying to place some standard upon them. We want to simply offer Jesus to them. So that they will accept him. And they too will come with us to eternity. Oh God. And Lord whatever con we have to go through. You're going to give us the strength. You're going to give us oh God the discernment. You're going to give us oh God the words. You're going to give us. Oh, Lord, the stability we need to walk through it and be an example, no matter what comes our way. And God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you have not left us or forsake us. I thank you that you've been faithful. I thank you, oh, God, that you stand in truth. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live within our hearts and our lives, transforming us into the men and women that you want us to be. God, I thank you that we can hold fast in the midst of today, for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for that, O oh God. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here today. 
Lord, those that are willing to stand, those that are willing to hear, oh God, what your word is saying to them. Now, God, I pray that you would keep us safe tonight. Lord, that there would be good fellowship and safety home and bring us all back tomorrow to hear what you want to say, oh God. Help us to grow and mature and become those children that you have empowered us to be. Your name be glorified. Your name be praised, oh God. In Jesus' mighty name. Can we give him a hand clap of praise, please?